0: This is the last in our series called Stuck. We've been talking about for this last last month, we've been talking about sometimes in our lives we find ourselves stuck. We find ourselves just unable to move. We talked about being, being stuck in emptiness. We talked about being stuck in circumstances. We talked about being stuck in busyness. Last week we talked about being stuck in routine. That was my favorite one, just being stuck. It just can't get, just, just routine, wasn't doing it anymore. And today is our final one. Stuck in unforgiveness. So somebody hurt you. Somebody hurt me. Maybe yesterday... Maybe a lifetime ago. We just can't forget it. We didn't really deserve that hurt, but it went deep enough to lodge inside our memory. And it keeps on hurting now. You know, there's some hurts that you can ignore. Some hurts we can forget. Some hurts we don't even realize. that wasn't that big a deal. We don't remember them long. But there are some that don't wash out that easily, sort of like mustard stains on a white dress shirt. Have you ever noticed that you wash that thing a hundred times and there's still that little bitty bit of mustard? It just won't go away. It might have been a deep hurt that's in our memory that we experience from, what it is is our dead past keeps moving into our living present and it just stays there. It may be being betrayed by a friend or by a spouse or abusive parents' actions or or abandonment or backstabbing at a job or even something worse and more unspeakable or tragic. And we've all wished at one time or another that we could just reach back at those painful moments and just cut them out of our lives and throw them away once and for all. But we can't. And as much as we try, we just can't. The pain of our past keeps rolling through our memories. And if you feel like there's nothing we can do to stop it. Sometimes it's a it's a river, it's a flow, it's a flood that just sweeps in and overwhelms. And sometimes it's just that daily drip 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 memory. Sometimes just the memory of it keeps us from letting go. Unforgiveness literally keeps us living in the past so that we miss out on our present and our future. We get stuck in a moment in our life when something bad happened and we can't get over what was done. We replay it over and over in our minds, hoping it will change, knowing it won't. Hoping it will change, knowing it won't, and, we, and it repeatedly re-injures our emotions. We allow the person that hurt us or the event that hurt us or the circumstance that hurt us to hurt us every time we relive it. It not only controlled what happened back then, it still controls what's happening now. I have a story to tell you. I like to tell stories. Some of you may have heard this old fable. It's not a true story from my uh, childhood, but it is a true. It is a, it is a fable. Some of you may have heard it, and uh, so I want to tell you the story. Once once upon a time, there was in this small village a man who was a baker. He was a fantastic baker, and everyone in the village admired his ability to make the best bread in town, best pastries in town. But he was more than that. He was also an upright. An honest, and righteous man. He was fair-minded, he was honest, and he was just doggone perfect. He always did the right thing, the right way, every time. Just one of those people. In fact, he was so upright and righteous that it seemed to, he, his lips seemed to spray righteousness on everybody when they went in his bakery. To the point to where People loved his bread, but they sometimes dreaded coming in his shop because he was so much more righteous and upright than everybody in town. It just made everybody feel a little weird. Now, he, the good baker, had a wife, and uh, she respected her upright husband. She even loved her upright husband, but she was so lonely because. You see, the people in town didn't hang around with them because they were were more upright and righteous than everybody else. And she didn't have any friends. One day, the upright baker came home and found his wife with another man. Her unfaithfulness became the talk of the town. And everybody assumed the baker would just cast her out of his house as she well deserved and as he well was entitled to do. But instead, he was so righteous and upright that he kept his wife, declaring he was to forgive her as the good book said. That's how upright he was. But in his heart of hearts, do you hear me? In his heart of hearts, he couldn't forget the shame that she had brought to his good name. Whenever he thought about what she had done, his feelings toward her became angry, they became hardened. Deep inside, he despised her for what she had done, especially after he had been so good and so upright and so faithful to her. He didn't know it, but he had really only pretended to forgive her so that he could punish her with his righteous mercy, reminding her often of his goodness compared to her failure. But God in heaven saw the fakery. God even saw the baker didn't realize he was doing it. He didn't see what he was doing to his wife. He couldn't see because his eyes were on his own hurt, not on his wife. God decided to act. So every time the baker felt uh, felt a feeling or spoke a word of hatred, of comparison, of anger toward his wife... He would send an angel, and the angel would drop a pebble about the size of a button, drop a pebble into his heart. Every time a pebble dropped in, the baker would feel a stab of pain in his heart. And the more pain he felt, the more he despised his wife for doing what she did because it brought so much pain to him. The pebbles multiplied. Oh, yeah, the pebbles multiplied. His heart became heavier and heavier. Oh yeah, his heart became so heavy that the top half of his body began to bend over. It began to bend over because of the weight. And before long, he had to strain his neck just to be able to look straight ahead. Everyone in town noticed the changes that happened in the baker. No one dared go to his bakery anymore. The baker dreaded every morning when the sun got up almost as much as he dreaded the long, restless nights. You see, many of us don't see what unforgiveness does to us and does to the people around us. We don't see it. May not even realize that we're harboring unforgiveness in our hearts. You know, I've been there in my life. I, I remember, I remember specifically an offense that I got while being a pastor of this church many years ago, but I was offended about something because, well, I, I, I had been lied about. And it offended me greatly. And even though, uh, even though the, the person that did that was gone, I just I couldn't get over it. <laughs> I couldn't get over it because I thought, what if people believe them? Well, I started noticing some signs, and I want to share with you some things that begin to show up in a person's life. And maybe today, if there's some unforgiveness in your heart that maybe you're not even sure that you have, maybe this will help. I'm not doing this to try to go, yeah, 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 I can't do that because I have to do that to me. I've got six things, I'm going to tell you very quickly, six things that are signs of unforgiveness. Are you ready? Number one, bitterness. Now, there are a lot of ways that bitterness shows up. It shows up, actually, if you're bitter, it shows up in every area of your life. Your relationships, in the way you think, in your walk with God, at your job, even how you feel about yourself. Listen, when you interact with someone, when you interact with someone that's offended you, let me ask you this question. So we 've all been there guys we 've all been there <laughs> man, oh, you want to hear my sermon aren't you, buddy? <laughs> I love it. This is awesome. <laughs> Let me ask you this question when you when you uh when you are struggling. With someone, maybe that you've got something that you've held against. Do you do you sort of make snide remarks to yourself about that person? Do you send them like texts that are passive aggressive? In other words, they aren't. They don't look bad on the outside, but deep in your heart, you know exactly what you meant when you said that. Do you do you ever engage in mudslinging when they're not around? Uh, that's proof. <laughs> That's proof there's unforgiveness. When we subtly attack somebody that we say we've forgiven, but we subtly keep attack- attacking them and criticizing them when we're with our other friends, our harsh, communicated, uh, our harsh words and our harsh communication comes out. Suspicion, lack of trust, secretly thinking of ways to get even. That's called payback. Bitterness is actually called payback. Amos 6.12 says this. Do horses run on rocky crags? Does one plow the sea with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. What that means is uh the poison that you mean to kill someone else kills you. You just don't know it's happening. It's called bitterness. The hard truth is if If you show evidence of bitterness in your life, there's unforgiveness in your heart, just like the good baker. Folks, what it is, it's the lies of demons. It is not truth being spoken to you about somebody. When you snide remarks are not the Lord going, hey, tell them this, hey, think this. Those are demons that are saying, I'm going to make you miserable. I'm going to make you miserable. I'm going to take you down. And when we repeat those things, we play into his hand. Here's the second thing, resentment. Now, like bitterness, resentment works shows up in all areas of our lives. But resentment, unlike bitterness, resentment builds walls. It builds walls to protect us from getting hurt again. But the problem is we want the wall to keep us from getting hurt again. But what it does is it also keeps you from experiencing love. It shields you from everything. It tends to isolate you. It tends to shield your bruised, broken heart from anything. Just like the baker. Just like the baker. Do you, ever, uh, do you ever find yourself dwelling on what that person did to you or what that circumstance did to you? The behavior that hurt you, it begins to infiltrate all of your thoughts. You think about it often. The Bible says resentment makes a person a fool. I'm telling you, it's what it says. Look at Job 5.2. Surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. Look at Proverbs 27.3. A stone is heavy. The sand is weighty, but resentment called by a fool is even heavier. Here's the third one. Anger. If you're struggling with unforgiveness, you're likely bottling up anger. And I'm just going to tell you the truth. It's, your anger is probably not on the person that you're angry at. It's probably on everyone else. It shows up. The recipient of your outburst of anger is oftentimes not the person that you're thinking about. Sometimes, though, it's, it, the anger is more like desperation. It's this thing that says, Oh, I just want them to understand how I feel. It's important that they know what they've done to me. If I could just get them to understand what's happened to me, then they could really apologize. But it's frustrating because you can't do that. James 1:19 to 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Man, man. Look at the next one, control. You think, well, I can't control the the person that hurt me or the circumstance, but I can sure control my own environment. This is what happens. It turns into compulsive activities that we have, like checking Facebook to see what they're saying all the time. Checking Facebook, uh, checking social media. Uh, you get offended when that person or, or whatever, yeah, the person is anywhere near you. And you get offended. And then you start getting offended when that person's family members are anywhere near you. And then you get offended when the friends of that person are anywhere near you. Because you think they all believe it and they don't like you. And that produces paranoia. (laughs) It does. It gives you the impression you're in control, but really you're just an anxious wreck. The activities that you're doing get you not solving the problem, but making the problem bigger. It's called paranoia. Romans 12, 19. I love what it says in the Message Bible. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, God says. I'll take care of it. How about Philippians 4, 6? Don't be anxious about anything. But in prayer, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's when we say, God, I'm not in control of this. When you try to control all of your circumstances, sometimes the control is this. I'm not going to go to this place that, I'm not going to drive through the town that I got hurt in. I'm not going to get on that side of town. There was a, when I was growing up, there was a, a, a doctor in our town who who had incredible unforgiveness toward a person in town that went in the same church, and they wouldn't even sit on the same church as the, uh, on side of the church with each other. They would come in opposite doors. Now, I'll, I'll tell you how that happened with me. I'm, I'm going to go on and tell you. There was a person, I told you, that uh, offended me greatly and just really, really just lied to my face kind of thing. It just killed me, and I just I couldn't get over it. And uh, they, they had, had gone away from the church for a good long time. And then all of a sudden, I was at, a, I was at a, like a community kind of meeting, and we were given this altar call, and I was an altar worker. And I'm standing up there. I'm one of the pastors up here as the altar worker. And lo and behold, if that person did not come and kneel down and need an altar worker literally right in front of me, I don't even know that they saw me, but it was right in front of me. And I remember I said this. I thought, no. I don't want them to get right with God because then they'll be, then God will forgive them and everything will be all right. <laughs> I remember going, no, they need to pay. And I remember in my mind going, I'm demonic. <laughs> I remember going, oh my gosh, what am I thinking? Oh, yeah. And God said to me, you love me as much as you love them. Ooh. Here's number five. got to hurry. Continual offense. You keep an ongoing list of their offenses. (laughs) It's like you don't keep an actual written one, but you keep a mental one. Every time the offender looks at you the wrong way, every time somebody says something offensive or ignores you, you start cataloging it. Yep, 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 yep. It's a justification. I do have the right to do this. And you look for those things. In fact, if you don't see them, you're disappointed you didn't see one this last time. You may think that you're putting them in a dungeon, but the truth is you're the one in the dungeon, just like the baker was. 1 Corinthians 13, about the love, it's the love chapter, it says, It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. And I found myself violating that when that person was standing there wanting to to get right with God and I was going, no, not now, not with me. Here's, Here's number six. This is the last one. Sickness. Yep. Withholding forgiveness can actually make you sick. Now that is something that's Scientific. It can make you sick. If you're stuck in unforgiveness, you're probably experiencing this toxic brew of guilt, shame, self-judgment, even self-sabotage, just like the baker in the fable that I told. You don't even realize you're being so hard on yourself because you decide to withhold forgiveness. You're struggling with the stress like anxiety and depression or insomnia, high blood pressure. All those things pull together and it makes you just be, be this toxic brew on the inside of you. Uh, Paul was talking to a church in Corinth which was messed up with that kind of stuff. And this is what he said in 1 Corinthians 11. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's Christian for die. Die but we are more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. He says, some of you guys are sick because you have, you have divisions with other people. It's making you sick. And some of you have even died. That's what it says. All right, here we go. Forgiveness is God's invention. Of a way of coming to terms in a world that unfair things happen. People are unfair to each other and hurt each other deeply. Sometimes through words, actions, or even unspeakable deeds. It's God's way of helping us get through this world. You're not going to go through this world without hurt. It's not going to happen. God began this whole thing by forgiving us and said, Now I want you to forgive others. Back in 1984, some of you weren't here then, but in 1984, y'all might remember it, some of you, Pope John Paul II walked into this creepy prison in Rome and he looked to find a guy named Mehmet Ali Agka, the man who had tried to assassinate him a few months earlier. The Pope took the hands of the man that had put a bullet in the Pope's heart and he forgave him. Uh, now, immediately, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, but he's like a professional forgiver. He's the pope. Like, that's his job. Hey, I know what that feels like. There are people that say to me, well, Pastor Mark, you have to read your Bible. You're a pastor. Pastor Mark, you have to pray. It's your job. You have to love everybody. That's what you're supposed to do. And you know what? I understand that. It, it is. When you, when you go, I might lose my job if I don't do these things. But I've got to learn to do them from my heart. And let me tell you the truth. For regular, ordinary folks, I, I, I'm not saying I'm extraordinary. I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm a pastor here, and you might expect popish things from me. <laughs> but the truth is, for everybody, it's a lot easier to hide unforgiveness when it's just you. When it's just you, and, and you're not on TV, and you're not, you're not being heard every week or something. Maybe it is tough. In fact, love is Love is, uh, forgiveness is love's toughest work possible, and it's the biggest risk you can take. It seems unnatural. Really, our sense of fairness tells us when somebody violates the rules, they ought to pay. Isn't that right? That's what we think. They should pay dearly for the wrong they do. Some things we feel like are just naturally unforgivable. Some deeds are so wicked, they are just unforgivable, Forgiving is not natural. It doesn't come naturally. It's supernatural. Did you hear me? It's supernatural. It's actually the power of God that allows us to forgive. It is actually God himself. It's not natural to forgive. It is supernatural to forgive. But for a believer in Jesus, for a Christian, it is not optional. Did you hear me? If you're a Christian, forgiving is not an option. It's not something you can pull off the buffet if, you're, if you want to do it. Remember the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount? Here goes. This is Jesus, not me. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive yours what he said, Ooh, man, that's rough, but you don't know what I've been through. God knows exactly what you've been through. When Peter asked Jesus, how many times must we forgive someone? Seventy? I love it. He gave a large number because it seemed quite merciful. How many times should we forgive? Seventy? And probably expected Jesus to go, oh, man, that's good. That's good. I was thinking more like eight. No, Jesus looked at him and he looked at him quickly. No, 70 times 70. That's 490. 490. (laughs) In other words, the well of forgiveness on this earth must never have a bottom. It must never bottom out. Man. How about Colossians 3.13? Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Okay, you say, great, I understand that, I believe that, but then there's how I feel over here. Here's some misconceptions of forgiveness. I just got three of these, so I'm getting there. Forgiving others is easy. It certainly is not easy. Just look at the cross of Jesus. Was that easy? What bought your forgiveness? It was the cross. Yes, sometimes we have to crucify some things to forgive. Do you hear me? Sometimes we have to jump on that cross too. Forgiveness comes at a high cost because it involves sacrifice, it involves hurt, it involves disappointment. At a purely emotional level, revenge is the way to go. And forgiveness is counterintuitive. It's just backward. But once a person sees the big picture of life and ultimately sees what God has done for us, forgiveness becomes the choice we got to take. Though it's not easy, it can be done. It can be done. Forgiveness is more than a feeling. It's the choice. It's the choice to pardon an offense. Even though it doesn't remove all the consequences that were done to us. There are things that happen to you that will have it will have results in your life from now on. It's true. It's true. There are things that stay with you. The, the, the consequences of those stay with you. Even if it wasn't your fault, I know that. But do you let those things destroy you? Or do you do with them what God wants you to do with them? Let me ask you, did Jesus die on the cross because of something he did? No. No. No, he did not. And I understand when Jesus was in the garden and said, Father, if there's any other way, let this go pass for me. I was like up on the platform and this person came to me and I thought, well, God, if there's any other way, let someone else pray for them. But I was the one. I was the one. I stood there and said, I got to do this. And I could have said I got to do this as a pastor, No, because God said you love him as much as you love me. How much is that? Ooh. I'm going to start singing the Bee Gees song, How Deep Is Your Love? (laughs) I like that song. That was rough. Forget here's the second misconception. Forgiveness is weakness. Forgiveness is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. It's easy to give in to anger. It's easy to give in to annoyance. It's easy to give in to bitterness. It takes power. It takes self-control to be able to exercise grace and compassion for other people when you've been offended or hurt. Here's the third misconception. This is a biggie. Forgiveness is not fair. <laughs> It doesn't seem fair to let something go, it? It just doesn't, especially when I'm holding on to it for someone else. Have you ever taken up someone else's offense? And you think, man, I've got to do this. I've got to hold on to this for them. I've got to let them know I'm with them. So I'm going to be offended with them. As long as they're offended, I'm going to be offended with them. That happens in families. That's called a feud. Actually, forgiving makes life fairer. Forgiving is the only way to make life more fair. I must forgive others as God has forgiven me. That's fair. If God's forgiven me, I need to do that. Gandhi, who wasn't even a Christian, Gandhi realized the power of the Christian teaching of forgiveness. He said this, if we all live by an eye for an eye, the whole world will be blind. Think about it. If we all live by something other than forgiveness, we will all be blind and go around hating everybody. The only way to heal the pain that will not heal itself is to forgive the person in your memory who hurt you. Only forgiveness can change your memory's focus. It it doesn't take it out of your memory, it just changes your memory's focus. Forgiveness stops the reruns of pain. Think about that. Forgiveness stops the reruns of pain. When you forgive, you cut this malignant tumor out of your own life. Forgiveness is the fairest, most healing thing you can do for yourself and for everybody else. Yeah. Now let's revisit the story of the baker and his wife that I told you earlier. Now, i got to finish the story. Now, here's where we pause the story. The baker was sick. Remember, he was bent over. He was unable to see straight. He was weighted down by the accumulation of all of those little pebbles that the angel had dropped in his heart every time he had an evil thought about his wife. Well, one day, the angel appeared to the baker and offered him a remedy for his broken condition. The angel said, That God in heaven would allow the angel to remove the weighty pebbles from his heart. Two at a time. Two at a time if he would begin to look at his wife through new eyes. You'll have to begin seeing your wife not as the unfaithful wife that betrayed you, but as the broken woman who needs you. The baker said, no, she's guilty, and even an angel can't change that. The angel said, yep, you're right. You cannot change the past. You can only heal the hurt that comes to you from the past. You will need new eyes to see your wife differently. How can I get new eyes, the baker said. And the angel said, ask, and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. God in heaven is waiting for you to ask. Suddenly, the baker's wife began to change right in front of her husband's eyes. (laughs) Wonderfully, mysteriously, he began to see her As a needy, broken woman who loved him rather than as a wicked woman who had betrayed him. He began to see himself as broken and in great need of her love. The angel kept his promise. Every time the baker chose to see her differently, two pebbles were removed from his heart. And it didn't take too long, a lot less time than it took to get there. His heart grew lighter, he began to stand up more upright, he began to walk straighter, he invited his wife back into his heart again, and she came, and together they began a journey of their life again in humility and in joy. God, I love that story. So what do we do today? Well, it is impossible for one sermon to look at forgiveness in all of its facets. I was telling Mike Harden that this morning. I said, Mike, I'm talking about unforgiveness today. Give me a week. He said, give you a month, you know. The best thing we need to do is not try to solve all the forgiveness problems today because everybody has a different look. But the best thing to do this morning is to move one step in the right direction. We love that phrase, first step, one step. We love that phrase. Here's your first step. Let's take one step in getting unstuck, okay? Obviously, forgiveness has to focus on forgiving others and forgiving yourself. But there's something that needs to come first. And I hope you won't be offended when I say this. Here is step one. Forgive God. Before you get offended... I'm not saying God has done us wrong and needs to be forgiven. I'm not saying that at all. It's that we perceive that God hurt us because he didn't stop it. Did you hear me? We perceive that God hurt us because he didn't stop it. He's he's all-powerful. He can stop everything, we think. It's like a toddler who collapses on the floor in tears when things don't make sense, and he blames his parents for all of it. We find it so easy to blame God As if we know better. The Bible makes it plain. Everybody listen to me. Evil, hurt, damage, sickness comes from the devil, not from God. Did you hear me? Get it out of your mind. God doesn't do that. Forgiving God is really asking God to forgive me for not trusting him. For, forgive me for blaming him for all this, my offense. That's what we need to do today. We're going to forgive God by going down and saying, God, I'm sorry, I thought it was your fault. It's not. And I'm sorry. It's not your fault. Let's begin by agreeing with the truth. God is good. God is good. Yeah, I knew you were going to do that. All the time. That's right. (laughs) Man, we're on it today, aren't we? God is good and he requires us to forgive. Take this one step. When your heart chooses to forgive, it changes everything. You make that one decision and a tide inside of us turns. It's a future without bitterness. It's a future without anger. It's a future without making lists in your mind and wanting revenge and the wall that we build just begins to crumble. I often ask people who are stuck in, in bitterness, and I usually ask them, what does it look like to forgive? What does it look like to forgive? Breaking through the stubbornness in our hearts enables us to move forward. Some of you might remember the story of Corrie Tin Boom. Corrie Tin Boom was a Dutch woman who was imprisoned along with her sister in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. Um, she one time spoke, or oh, she often spoke about a guard that she met uh, one time from a, the prison camp she was in. She was unfairly put in a concentration camp and terribly abused, unspeakably abused. And her sister was killed. Years after the war... She toured Europe giving talks about the importance of forgiveness. After one of these talks, a former German officer approached her and complimented her on her talk. He said he had come to know the Lord after the war, and he was grateful that his past was forgiven. He took the opportunity to ask for her forgiveness as a victim, but he didn't recognize that she was one of his prisoners. But she recognized him as one of the evil guards. She went on to say, I didn't want to forgive him. I, I stood, I stood at a place and thought the same thing. She said, I don't want to forgive him. She said she didn't think she could. She knew that from her experience of working with Survivors of Nazi concentration camps that she had to do something. Jesus, help me, she prayed silently. When she said that, suddenly she, she found herself saying, I can shake his hand. He had reached down to shake her hand. I can shake his hand. I can at least do that much, but you're going to have to help me with the rest. Then she said, mechanically, I offered my hand to his hand that was stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. Electricity started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and went right through our joined hands. And then healing warmth began to flood my whole being and brought tears to my eyes. And I screamed out, she said, I forgive you, my brother. I forgive you with all my heart. Don't you know he was taken back when it suddenly realized who she was? That was not natural. That was supernatural. You know what defined Corey Ten Boom's life? It wasn't spending those years in a Nazi concentration camp. It was the day she forgave with all of her heart. That's what defined her life. We don't remember her, her sufferings, we remember her forgiveness. Being willing to forgive made the difference for her. She didn't feel she could do it. The German guard had done unthinkable things to Corrie ten Boom. She made the decision to take her first step just going in God's direction and said, help me Jesus, I'm willing. Take it action in her own spirit, the action she knows she needed to do, gave her the emotional ability to finally do it, and she was set free in a way she never thought possible. Get unstuck today. I'm going to invite you to take that one step this morning. God will take care of the rest. I just want you to take that one step this morning. Would you stand with me? I'd like to ask our prayer team if they'll scatter themselves out at the front. I'm going to do something sort of a little different. Today, I want you to watch God, two at a time, take the pebbles out of your heart and let you stand up straight today after you make this decision, God, I'm willing to let it go. And when you come down here, that's what you're saying. We're gonna, we're gonna declare that together. And then when we're finished, these gods are gonna be close to you. And I want you, if you if you want to go to one of them and say, pray with me, then I want you to do that. But right now, this is between you and God. I'm gonna ask you, right now, in just this moment, as they begin to sing, I'm gonna ask you to step out and just come and stand and face this direction along with our, our prayer team. Would you come on right now? Step out right now. My
1: soul and try.
0: Like I know exactly what it feels like. It can be big. It can be small. It doesn't matter. Come on! I think there are more people. Somebody's fighting. Oh, just come on! Just come on! We're just gonna declare it together. Just come on right now! Just come on right now! Remember the baker. Remember the the Lord will remove the pebbles. Right now pebbles are moving. They're moving right now. Okay, I'm going to ask prayer team and all those that have come and gathered. I'm going to ask you, if you will, just close your eyes. I want you to picture yourself at the foot of the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he just said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. And you heard him. And you realize you didn't know what you were doing. And then you look up at him and say, God, forgive me for thinking you're responsible. not the one that's the source of my hurt. You're my help. I'm willing, God. You've forgiven me now. I'm willing. Show me how to do this. Don't you just, in your own ways, Think, picture yourself saying that, Lord. Show me how to do this. I want you to repeat this out loud. Lord, I'm willing. Show me how to do this. the pebbles being removed it is well with my, with my
1: soul
0: you just are willing the pebbles will start leaving the weight will start coming off your heart it is well Satan I bind you now in the name of Jesus people are getting free right now in the name of Jesus people are getting free all over the place people are getting free right now people are getting free. Reach up and grab it right now in your heart. Reach up and grab it. God is healing some souls right now. God is healing her right now. Just as you're willing, as you're willing. Reach up and grab it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to finish the work that you started in this room. Prayer team members, if you'll turn back around, and if somebody wants to find you to pray with you right now before they leave, then you're available. And I would encourage you to, to, to make a confession to one of those prayer team members and say, I did that. I did that today. Folks, I love you, and I thank you so much for coming.